Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 100 of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media, and as always, they've been with us since the beginning, our friends at MyBookie, MyBookie.ag has all lines you could ever hope to gamble on. Doesn't matter what your particular poison is, if you want to bet the prop bet that Demi Lovato is going to go over 2 minutes and 4 seconds at the Super Bowl, you can do that on MyBookie. They have more prop bets than anybody else, they have the most updated lines in the business. Their customer service is second to none. They're very, very easy to use is what I'm getting at. If you're a novice like me or somebody that just happens to not be good at winning money, my book is a good place to learn. You can talk to their customer service staff. You can learn as much as you can. You don't have to deal with as many sharps as you do in, at places like Bovada or at the actual sports books down in Vegas. It's nice and easy. You can do it from your phone. You can do it in your pajamas, whatever. If you go to my booking, you put in our promo code armchair. They're going to give you a 100% deposit match on your initial deposit up to $1,000. They're not looking for that high roller who's going to try to get them to match a $10,000 bet, but they will match you up to $1,000. That's double your money that you can make. You go to mybookie.ag, put in that promo code armchair, and let the fun begin. All right, so as I told you guys, it's episode 100. Thank you guys so much for... Sticking with us for a hundred episodes, the growth has been phenomenal. Uh, being able to just interact with with the listeners has been fantastic. Uh, to the patrons out there, you know, you know, we love you. Uh, but to to those of you out there, sincerely, sincerely, thank you for sticking with us for a hundred episodes. Uh, as not to toot our own horn here, but we like the show and we're glad you guys like it too. Uh, we thought we'd bring it around full circle today with this being our one hundredth episode. We decided we would go all the way back to the beginning, and there's no better place to do that than a guy that's been a frequent guest of our show who hasn't been on for a while. I know you guys are going to be happy to hear his voice. Gabe Burns. Gabe, welcome back to the show, buddy. I'm so honored to be back. It's amazing. I was on the first episode. It's amazing it just didn't tank right then and there, (laughs) uh, just having me on. So for for it to reach 100, I mean, congrats to you guys. I appreciate you having me on uh, several times on here and, and today as well. 
Now, we've always felt a, felt a bit of a kinship with you, and you're one of us. You're, you're most assuredly everybody's uh, favorite Braves writer. I can, I can promise you that. So uh, glad, to, uh, glad to have you back on. It's, uh, it's weird, man. It seems like uh, just, uh, just yesterday that the season was winding down, and you know we're 14 days from spring training uh, as we record right now. And by the time this episode comes out, it'll be down to 12. So you've got to be ready for some, uh, for some Florida sunshine, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, ready to uh, get out of the Atlanta weather. People people laugh at me for that, but I mean, I'm from down near Florida, so uh, I mean, you know what? Just give me just give me a hundred degrees year round, and I'd be fine with it. Mm. I don't want anything else. I, I I mean, so yeah, I'm I'm fully ready to get down to Florida. Um, really going to be an interesting spring training. Obviously, it's their first in Northport. A lot of people were pretty excited to get out of Disney in the Orlando area. I actually don't mind it there as much, but. Really curious to just see, you know, the upgraded facilities and everything. Yeah, everyone's so excited about this. And obviously, huge expectations this season. Uh, bigger, I would say bigger this season than last season. So, there's a lot going into it that should make this exciting. And the Braves were one of the, obviously one of the busier clubs this winter, too. So, just that whole combination of things. Everyone's just really ready to get the ball rolling on this. Yeah, I tried to get the radio station to uh, pay for me to go down to spring training. I even told them I'd stay down there for the entire spring training. Unfortunately, they didn't go in on that, so uh, I'll be watching from Reddit. So, Gabe, last year, when they did the one game at Northport, were you at that game? Did you get a chance to see that facility, or will this be your first time down there? You know, this is actually going to be my first time. I I left Florida a few days early, uh, came, you know, came back up to Atlanta. I spent a little time with my family and then, uh, we went off to Philadelphia. I left for, uh, Philly the day before the opener, I believe. So I'm, I mean, I'm just ex- as excited as anyone. Cause I actually haven't seen it. A lot of my colleagues have, uh, several people did stay down to cover that game last year. So, you know, from, I, I mean, from the pictures, from everything that I've been told talking to people, it's a really impressive facility and not much around it. Still, uh, still, still building stuff around it but uh in general just as far as for the players and everything it sounds like it's it's pretty impressive so i'm really looking forward to seeing it and you know with orlando i mean that was that was i thought that was a pretty special thing for the braves to uh to train down there and obviously a lot of great teams and a lot of great players were there so and it was accessible a lot of people you know got to do the whole disney trip see the braves and all that so that was really cool but i do think it was you know it was time for a change and I think the players are going to be really excited just to have an updated, you know, more player-friendly area for them. Now, I don't want to poke around and open up old wounds, except I kind of do. Is this around the same time that uh, the infamous ghosting incident occurred? Um, oh, oh, that, the thing I tweeted about? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. It mm, it was it was during the regular season, I think. Uh, I think um, I, I can't really, you know, it's been a long time, and uh, you know, uh, but you know, it, we moved on. Think, think, we're both better off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it might have. I mean, it was it was later than this, but it wasn't far off. I mean, probably, you know, within the next couple months. I will say that was the first time I've ever seen a beat reporter talk about getting ghosted, and it was. Uh, I felt hey, hey, it happens to everybody, right? I mean, I mean uh, but, but you know, I mean, I actually told I told her about it. She she got a big kick out of the tweet, but uh, 
you know, it's, I mean, I try to cover the team differently, uh, just in my own unique way. I think what really separates, separates reporters, I mean, just really in any profession. I mean, I try to do things on your own. You know, obviously, uh, I had a great mentor in Dave, who's now at The Athletic. And the Braves, and I mean, the Braves media is really good. I know a lot of people kind of give them a hard time, but this is a really strong group here. And there's a lot of different personalities, obviously some big personalities, and a lot of different viewpoints. And I think that they really come together to make a really nice, you know, well-rounded view of this team. And so, you know, I try to do things a little bit differently and being a little bit more open, um, trying to have a lot of fun with it. I mean, we're covering you know, we're covering baseball for God's sake, you know, I mean, it can't, it's not that serious. So, I mean, just little stuff like that. I think, it, it, I think people enjoy it. And from my perspective, it's just kind of a nice way to stay loose and kind of stay myself. And in the middle of what's a really long grind, uh, you know, seven plus months of baseball season. Do you ever get sick of it? You can get hot at times. Um, you don't get tired of baseball. I mean, but you, you mean the grind? I mean, sometimes you can. I don't know if sick is the right word. Uh, that's, that, I mean, that's a little strong. But I mean, naturally, you can get tired of anything when you just keep doing it. And sometimes you kind of fall, you know, when you fall into a routine, I think it's no different than, you know, somebody getting up and just going to work at 8 a.m. I think when you go into the same routine, you're doing it over and over again. You know, it can. Um, fortunately, you don't really get that much of a chance to kind of fall into the same routine because by the time you reach that point, you're hitting the road again. Um, and then once you hit the road, you're in a different city. And, you know, obviously we're a little more familiar with Miami, New York, I mean the East. So there's different things to do there. And it just kind of, the monotony of it does tend to get broken up as soon as you start to feel it. So yeah, like anything, uh, there's good and bad. It is a lot of time on the road, which I don't really mind. But for people who are settled down more, I think that's, uh, you know, that can be tough at times. But, you know, I mean, again, we're I mean, we're covering baseball. We're getting paid to watch baseball every day. I mean, just that in itself. That's a pretty cool gig. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of people jealous. Um, some here on the show included. But I do want to mention, yeah. I got to give Doc a pat on the back because I always give myself pats on the back because if nobody else is going to do it, I got to do it for me. Uh, but Doc did mention way before this offseason totally kicked off that uh, the way that the Braves lost that infamous series with the dadgum Cardinals, uh, that it might open up Alex to be m- a lot more aggressive, more because of the way it ended, not just that they lost in the first round, but the way that they ended up losing. And uh, props to you, Doc. You were absolutely correct. Hey, thanks. I mean, it was it was embarrassing for everybody. I mean, like I wasn't even I wasn't even there. I wasn't even within forty miles of the stadium, and I was just horribly embarrassed by the whole thing. So I can imagine that for anybody <clears throat> in the front office who uh, kind of forced to <laughs> forced to watch the carnage. You know, hold your eyes open like Clockwork Orange and make you watch the plane crash under the mountain. Um, you know, I think that it, he really had the opportunity to to kind of fix things. And you know, even where there were some weaknesses last year, they were they got kind of patched over because how good some other things were. And I think that he was really in a position to balance the team out. So, um, and it came true. It actually really came true. I mean, for me, like I, I look at it as a successful offseason and hopefully they can really get to work at like putting 
putting the rest of it to bed because that that thing like 13-1 is going to turn into the new 28-3 or you know 10 run first inning is the new 28-3 so there's still some work to be done and a championship would would uh, cure all but I love the aggressiveness man and for you Gabe it's got to be more fun to cover when it's an aggressive offseason versus last year where it just kind of you had that quick hit early and then it just crawled yeah you know you really want to see MLB kind of spike up you just want to see a more active offseason in general. I think, you know, the NFL offseason and the NBA, everything kind of happens at once or the biggest moves happen at once. And so there's this kind of flurry of news for about, you know, a week plus or so. And then things kind of cool down uh, with this. It's much different. I mean, you wouldn't even know most of the time when free agency opens. And then it just kind of pops randomly when, you know, Garrett Cole decides. I mean, we were at the winter meetings. I was getting dinner in uh, San Diego when the Garrett Cole news popped. And, you know, I was at, I was actually at the Hawks game when the news of Donaldson uh, popped that he had signed in Minnesota. So you just kind of never know. Uh, but it's good. I think it's good for MLB, <clears throat> excuse me, just to have more of this going on. I think a big, you know, a Chris Bryant trade, a Lindor trade, some of those kind of moves would really spice it up because, I mean, you look at the other leagues, I mean, I would argue the offseason is more popular than the season itself, especially in the NBA, and you don't really want it to reach that point in baseball. But given where baseball is, it, it could use the press of kind of a sexier offseason. And, and, and really for Braves fans, I mean, kind of swinging this back to, back to the team that we're talking about, they, they were really pissed off last, last winter. I mean, Alex brought in McCann, he, he brought in Donaldson, and then things were kind of you know, stagnant from there. Nothing, you know, nothing really happened. Obviously, they were having talks. They were trying to get different things done. Nothing did. And so, it, I mean, no one cares how many phone calls he placed. You know, I mean, if nothing got done, nobody cares. And that's just the nature of, you know, being fans and whatnot. So to see the Braves, like, up at the top of teams, I, I mean, I don't have a list in front of me, but I'm not sure there's any, you know, that was a more active team uh, this offseason as far as, you know, making, you know, even bringing in bigger-name players. I mean, Travis Darnot is not exactly a big name, but he's a name that, you know, real baseball fans are pretty familiar with. Uh, so they went out. You know, I mean, how, how much did Game 5 really influence that? I think they were kind of ready to do this regardless. Um, but it certainly didn't hurt that cause. But that was just, I mean, as, so, as someone who's from Georgia, you know, as someone who grew up rooting for this organization and now someone who's covering it, I mean, that was just so just awful. Uh, I mean, I mean, at the time, you just it was sad at first. And then, you know, you couldn't help but start laughing. It just it just got so just terrible. It just wouldn't stop. And I mean, that was really one of the, you know, the Fal I mean, the Falcons loss was worse, obviously. But that was really one of the worst losses that I can remember. Um, for a team in this state, so I mean, he maybe did it did it prompt action? I don't really think that Alex necessarily operates that way, but I do think that it at least, you know, no, it could have nudged them. I, I mean, that's possible. Just in the, I mean, look, they were better than the Nationals the whole regular season. I mean, they they were better. Like, and to see to have that happen, to see Washington knock off LA, which. You know, would the Braves have beat the Nationals? I don't know. But, I mean, it definitely, the players insist that that really stirred up something in them. We'll see if that's the case. I mean, that is obviously just what you will say. We'll see kind of how it unfolds. But 
there's certainly no shortage of motivation in that building to get back to the playoffs and certainly not embarrass themselves this time. Well, we'll see what happens the first time they face the Cardinals because I won't believe that they're that it lit a fire under them based on what I saw in Game 5 and the whole Acuna-Jack Flaherty incident where nobody did anything. Oh, my God. We'll see what happens. Sorry, Doc. I know you didn't want to talk about it, but we speak the truth here. That's why we got to 100 episodes. Um, but you came on a Locked On episode with me in July last season or around that time, uh, right around the All-Star break, and you and I had talked off-air about how we kind of thought this was coming anyway, that uh, 2020 was going to be the year that the Braves had mapped out that that was kind of the year. And uh, I it always looks better when, when you have something like traumatic happen, like the NLDS and instant yeah. aggressiveness comes out afterwards. But I mean, this could have been the plan all along. If, I mean, I'm trusting what you were hearing that 2020 was what they were thinking anyway. It's definitely setting up a very interesting spring training for a number of players. I don't know that I've seen a Braves team in a long time that's had this much competition for like one or two spots left on the roster. Talking about the fifth starter role, uh, talking about the final piece or two on the bench, uh, talking about whoever might get that last bullpen spot. There's a lot of mouths to feed for like three positions. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, this is what Alex envisioned, I think. You know, he hasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, he, you know, he doesn't really, he didn't really dive into it when he first got the job, but he came he came from the Dodgers, and what were the Dodgers known for is basically the, the luxury of plug and play. It seemed that it never mattered who went down for them. That was always somebody else. And we kind of saw that, we saw that some the, <laughs> with Alex's first year, you know, with Charlie breaking out and everything, and even last year, you know, there's guys like Joyce, you know, Hechevarria. These, these guys are just, you know, out of nowhere really contributors. And now you're looking at this team and they are deep. I, this, is, this is a really deep team, uh, pitching and hitting. Uh, defense. I mean, it's got everything you could ask for. I think, you know, when you look at the lineup, there's a drop-off after Ozuna. Uh, if you could even get one guy to kind of, you know, emerge a little bit if, you know, Dansby before he got hurt, if, you know, Camargo is back per se, you know, anyone like that that can just kind of step up, it would, you know, it would ease the offense a little bit. But I mean, this is, I, I was comparing them on paper to LA the other day. And it's, it's really not far off. When you look at this raw, and again, these games aren't played on paper and with good reason, but when you compare this roster and this depth to everyone else in the national league, I mean, there's a real case. I mean, if it wasn't for the Atlanta history and all that, I mean, there's a real case that this team should be the NL favorite at this point. And I'm actually not convinced <clears throat> that they that they won't be. Um, it, I think that there's a very specific tier of teams. The Braves are in the upper tier. They may not be quite at the top of the tier, but if they are, if they would be willing to make one more external move, I think it could kind of put them over the top. But I mean, it's it's nice to have the options and say if this guy figures it out or if this other guy figures it out, because then you know you've got your four. You might have five. You might have six or seven. So if if a couple of those different ifs, you know, if those turn into something, then that's legit. But for some guys, it's guys that don't have the track records. Like Dansby has shown flashes. Twenty nineteen first half Dansby was fabulous. Playoff Dansby was great, but it was just kind of that in the middle. We know about Camargo. We know we know about Ender. So, 
if you're looking for a guy with a track record, I mean, I don't know, Gabe, you wrote an article about how the Braves might should go after that one Cubs third baseman. Um, do you still think that that's a thing that could be on the table? I mean, because as of today, the grievance is settled. Chris, you know, we know how much time Chris Bryant has left. Do you think it's, it's possible? possible. I, I, right now, I, I, would, I would lean no. I think they're content going into camp with what they have. And, you know, to a degree, why shouldn't they be? Uh, I think this team is perfectly fine. They're the NL East favorites if they don't make another move. I think that we can, you know, maybe not everyone will pick them. I mean, no one picked them last year either. But, I mean, they look like the clear NL East favorites to me at this point. Uh, I would argue the only team that's, you know, maybe better than them on paper is L.A. right now. So do they have to make a trade for Brighton? No. But I was thinking about this earlier. And, and I, I say this, I do not think they will. I, do, I really think the chances are low that they will at least, you know, in the foreseeable future. I think but if you do it, if you have the opportunity to do it, I'm not sure why you wouldn't. Because they're kind of parading around talking about increasing payroll. They were not shy about that. Uh, so I wouldn't think that money is that going to be that big of an issue. Uh, there's certainly ways that you can offset some of the money, you know, if they decide to move Ender in the deal or in another, you know, reroute him somewhere. I mean, there's, there's ways that they could certainly lessen uh, the money they're taking on. But I just, when you look at the, if they acquired Bryant, you are without question the NL favorite. I mean, I don't, I mean, you just, you're so well, and look, that might not result in anything, but if you really feel like you have that opportunity, the way I'm looking at it is, if you feel like you can add this player and this is a player to put you over the top and looking at this roster, we have not seen them play a game yet. So I don't think it's really fair to say he would put them over the top, but he would really complete this group. I mean, the bench looks strong. I mean, the lineup, I mean, just everything about him, even if he's only here for two years and he leaves to join Bryce in Philly or whatever, you're really, you're maximizing a two year window. You know, you've got, you've got, Acuna, he's not going to be owed that much. And if I remember correctly, a Bryant and Freddie expire at the same time. So there's not a, you know, there's not an overlap there. If there was an opportunity, I, I mean, I absolutely think they should. Uh, do I think they will? No. But when the deadline rolls around, depending on where the Cubs are, maybe it becomes a more serious discussion. And at that point, you'd still be getting him for two pennant runs. Uh, so that, and you could probably get him less. I would think uh, at that point, just simply from a year and a half versus two. So, you know, it's, it's not going to, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule out Lindor. I mean, these guys who might be available at the deadline, you know, if this team is positioned where they can do something like that, I mean, sure. But right now, I, I don't think they will. But if they had the opportunity to, they should absolutely take it because there's no doubt that, like you just said, they're really one more out away from having a really, really scary team. And at this point, uh, given, you know, you've already been, you've already had two failed playoff runs. You're pretty distant from the rebuild now. Uh, a lot of your prospects have either busted or graduated. You're really at the point that I think making a move like this is, it would be logical. And I, I tend to agree. I like what you said there. I think they're done for now. I, I like that you said that they're, they're, content with third base doesn't mean that they won't upgrade it if given the opportunity, but I do think that they'll they'll give Camargo and Riley every chance because the lineup is good enough to where even if those two 
produce like they did last year and still struggle like they were doing last year, the rest of the team and the rest of the lineup, including the bullpen and the rotation, are good enough to carry them to the deadline while still being potentially in first place or at least within shouting distance of you know of a good playoff run. And then you can add, if that's still your only hole, you can add that at the deadline. The other piece that I continue to think about is not necessarily third base because it is getting to the point where when you hear Alex talk about Camargo uh, and when you understand that Riley was a top 25 prospect a season ago, I almost think that Alex wants to give them every opportunity that they re- he really does believe in at least Camargo. I'm not entirely sure about Austin. I, I keep going back and forth on what I hear and the tone of voice and all that stuff, but I know he at least believes enough in them to where he thinks you can count on about two to two and a half war at least from them. And if that's the worst spot in your positions, it's not a bad spot at all. I do wonder, though, the one thing that I think they could strengthen more than anything else would be the starting rotation. And it's not that I don't like Mike Soroka. I love Mike Soroka. I, you all know that I'm about as big a Max Freed fan as it can possibly be without being creepy. Sometimes it might, I might tow over that line, too, if I'm being 100% honest. Uh, I love Cole Hamels. But I don't necessarily think any of them are that bona fide guy that you want locking up with the other playoff ones. Like, He's not, nobody, nobody the Braves have is Max Scherzer or DeGrom or even Strasburg for that matter uh, or a Walker Bueller type. Uh, I think Soroka and Bueller kind of match up fairly well, but Bueller's definitely got more high upside at the moment. Uh, you look into guys like Verlander and Garrett Cole, these guys that are, that are main established actual aces. And really, there is one on the market. I do wonder if Alex would be willing to pony up what it's going to cost, but a guy like Mike Clevenger is a guy that I keep coming back to uh, as probably the only actual, and I won't call him an AC yet because he's only done it for one season, but he's the only guy of that caliber that I actually see that's on the market. I would like to see them go for a move like that. I'm with you though, Gabe. I don't think they do. It's just pure, pure. If I could trade for anybody right now, what would I do? Well, you know, kind of following up on what I said, maybe, you know, depending on third base, I think when you look at the deadline, I definitely, I, I would guess starter would be second <clears throat> behind depending again depending on how third base plays out because understandably they want to see what do we have in Riley you know how does he fit because I mean that's that's a really big financial decision I mean I'm not I'm not justifying them penny pinching or anything and and in their defense they have not been they have been spending but yeah that's a big financial decision to go to make a leap from Riley to Chris Bryant I mean that's that's a big jump and you have to kind of weigh it and see where Riley is because like you said, he was a highly regarded prospect. I mean, last season, I mean, he showed, obviously showed a lot in May, paled off and he was virtually unplayable at the end. So the truth lies somewhere in between. They just need to, I mean, they don't really, they have the time to wait, but given where they are as a franchise, I don't see their, you know, much of a benefit in just waiting on him at this. I mean, they're trying to win now. Like this isn't, I mean, they're not developing. I mean, they're st- uh, everyone's developing, but their priority is not developing right now. I mean, they're trying to win games now. And that's why, you know, Fulty got sent down. Newcomb got sent down. Mentor got sent down. I mean, last year they really transitioned fully into this let's win. And, you know, if these guys are struggling, we just have to send them down. There's no more, you know, running them back out there. So with as far as starter goes, I would not be surprised if this team is in the starters market um, come July because – you know, Mike Soroka, you know, he does have a history with shoulder. I mean, you want to see him go through one more year healthy 
before you kind of can really move past that. Obviously, Max with the blisters. You know, Hamels had the oblique injury. You know, we'll see what happens with him. I, I just, I, and then Fulty is, you, you don't know. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the reality of it. I mean, you, you would think that, you know, he just had that rough patch and he's back and everything. But, you, you know, right now we don't really know what they're going to get. And then you have an array of these guys competing for the fifth starter role. And, you know, maybe a guy like Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson can, you know, take that and run. But you, you're not going to bank on that. And quite over the course of the year, you know, you're going to need more than one guy anyway. I mean, you're going to need several of these guys, you know, eating innings, you know, for, for as much as people loathe Julio and even Keuchel to a degree. I mean, those guys provided innings. And those are innings that this team is not really guaranteed to have anymore uh, because we don't know, you know, these guys do have injury histories to some degree. So I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the team, even if it's not necessarily the, you know, the ace level guy, if there's an opportunity to add a, you know, pretty steady, you know, even three, someone that's trustworthy, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if third base is okay, if, you know, Camargo's holding it down and everything, I wouldn't be surprised if that's an area that they start to turn to. But, I mean, re- if they're not going to make a move before opening day or a significant move, they do have the assets and they do have the time at that point. So they will be able to kind of scan the market. They'll still be able to be players for, you know, the big name infielders, starters. So they are in a position right now in that they don't really necessarily need, they're not desperately in need of anything and so that can kind of help them just as far as being patient and just evaluating the team over the next several months okay so i'm gonna put you in an uncomfortable position here i'm gonna make you plant your flag on one player for this year uh, you you're absolutely right when you were talking about Wright and bryce and guys it, it's it's kind of hard to project what they're gonna do and hard to bank on that they're gonna take the step forward Who's your one guy that this year you know, you just know, is going to take the step forward? Ian Anderson. Is, is that fair? That works for me. Uh, I, I, I think there's another step there. I do think he'll be, he'll be in the mix. He'll be contributing to this team. Uh, I, you know, I mean, it's impossible to project this stuff. I I mean, we'll see what happens, but he'll definitely be in the mix. He'll definitely be making starts. And I think out of these, you know, if we're – I guess we can count Newcomb in this. Out of the fifth starter mix, those guys, I think that the the guy who will impress the most and really make the, mo- the biggest leap forward will be Anderson. And, you know, I don't know how that will affect them come playoff time, but I do feel pretty comfortable saying that next spring he'll – he'll be penciled into a rotation spot and they'll just move forward from there. All right. Now you also, uh, by the way, when we, when we did the locked on show back in the summer, you also had something to mention about Christian Pache about if he had another spring training, like last season's, he might actually make the club out of spring training. Uh, Are you still keeping an eye on that battle? Do you think it's still feasible or do you think that they let him kind of marinate in Gwinnett a little bit? I think he'll be in Gwinnett. I mean, their plan right now is, for those two to open in Gwinnett. And I mean, this team has so much outfield depth at this point, it would take, I mean, it would take multiple injuries uh, before I think it even warrants a conversation. I, I just think given where this team is, they're not going to want to open with him right away. Uh, now, I mean, things can change, I guess. I mean, if someone just really wants Ender and calls them and it's a move that they feel compelled to do, I mean, maybe that changes things, but 
as of right now, kind of living in the most likely scenario. I, I don't see either of those guys opening, opening with the club. And, you know, the outfield logjam to me is actually really one of the more interesting uh, subplots of the season and just how we see develop, how does, how does Smith handle these guys. I mean, so, I'm, you know, obviously you're going to have Acuna and Ozuna in there uh, every day or most every day. So already, you're, you know, looking at that, I, I think it's going to take injuries or, you know, if Adam Duvall just doesn't, he just doesn't have it. I mean, there's scenarios that will get them up sooner. But I, I don't really see, you know, they're not going to call them up to sit on the bench. So for either one of those guys, I think right now the, the best move is to just let them, well, uh, just let them develop more in AAA and just kind of take a patient approach with them. And eventually there will be, just like with Riley, there will be an opportunity uh, if, one, if one of them is playing exceptionally well. But you can call them up even for a brief time just to kind of hold fort until somebody is back. I, I think that's ultimately how both of them are going to wind up making their way up. And one thing this team's shown is they're willing you, – you can earn a role. You can earn a role and stay. So uh, they'll figure something out uh, when the time comes. But, I mean, if these guys if, – if either or both of them produce, I mean, you know, assuming that this team's looking, you know, looking at the playoffs again, they're still going to – they're going to find a way to keep them up. The big – the biggest thing that I took away from the Ozuna signing was how much they believe in Pache and Waters for the future. I mean, is that is that a pretty fair assumption that, that this was kind of a win-win for them, that they were able to fill the cleanup hole with a legitimate four-hole hitter and also keep from blocking any of their guys? I mean, you never, you never necessarily want to build your roster around, oh, we can't block this guy or we can't block that guy. But that just screamed to me that, they, that they're saving spots for Pache and Waters, unless like some elite level guy, like a Clevenger deal, something like that comes along. Yeah, I, I, that's fair to say. I, I think that it was even more so, you know, as soon as they didn't get Donaldson back, I mean, they, they can spin it however they want. They, they needed a power hitter. I mean, period. They needed, they needed another guy. And, you know, Ozuna is not, he's not going to hit like Donaldson did last year is what, you know, the majority are assuming. And, you know, if he replaces 70% or whatever of it, that's fine. They needed that guy. They had an opportunity to reinvest that Donaldson money into a short-term fix. You know, they already they were fortunate in that they already had two internal options at third, so they didn't have to panic from that third base standpoint. So as soon as they missed him, they could pivot to Ozuna because I was actually told, um, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout the off season uh, that their interest, uh, you know, there was reported interest in Ozuna. I was told that was pretty overstated. Uh, and I and I do actually think that was true. I don't think they were in love with Ozuna. Hence, just getting him on a twenty, you know, on a you know, what was it, twenty million dollar deal um, for one year instead of you know committing to him even two years. I mean, obviously, there's the outfield logjam that that you talked about, but it was just an easy kind of pivot for them. I think they probably knew that that was an option, which is why it, they were never really necessarily panicking over the Donaldson thing. Uh, if, you know, Donaldson made it clear that their offer was not close, uh, Alex told us that they had the opportunity to match it and they declined. Uh, if those things add up, then they pretty much have known for a while that the odds favored him leaving. So it's not like it shocked them when he left. Uh, if they were, you know, I mean, they knew what they were offering. They probably had an idea of what, uh, you know, Minnesota was offering. 
So they knew that it was probably likely that if he, if his if his number one goal was money, which he made it clear it was, that he would be leading. So they probably knew that they could pivot to Ozuna, and it was clear that Ozuna's market did not take shape the way he hoped. So this late, they knew that they could go ahead and pivot to him, and he could do pretty much what Donaldson did last year. I mean, sign with the Braves, uh, try to rake, and then reel in that big offer uh, next winter. And I, I don't think, unlike Donaldson, I don't think we'll be you never know. I mean, maybe he blows up and has a, you know, an incredible year, but odds are we, we probably won't be talking about re-signing him next winter because the Braves will be, will be in a position to just say thank you and turn the reins over to one of those guys if their plan comes to fruition. All right, we can't keep you too much longer. I just have one more question for you, and I tried to say this for last because I do think it's probably the toughest question when you really think about it on the roster. So we keep talking about third base and being Riley and Camargo. Uh, we just kind of assume that it's going to be a platoon between the two of them. But we also know that Snicker is not a fan of platoons, um, as he stated many times. That's why it makes it an interesting dynamic to see what's going to happen with Mark Akis. Uh, but if you are making the judgment on, on who not, not who you would rather start, but who you think the Braves will start, do you think it'll be Camargo or Riley who gets the nominal starters role? And who do you think plays more? I think they open the season with Camargo starting at third and Riley in AAA. Uh, that, that would be my guess at this juncture, but we have a long way to go. It's, it's going to be a big spring for Riley. Uh, essentially, from the way I'm viewing it, is Camargo has to lose the job. Or Riley just has to take the job. I think otherwise they will they will just default to Camargo, and you could say that there's a lower you know a lower ceiling there, but there's also probably a higher floor. I think in some ways we're still trying to figure out what Camargo's floor is, but we have a pretty good understanding of what his ceiling is at this point. So it's probably a safer play to just go with Camargo right now uh, full time. So that that's what I'm expecting in Arizona when the Braves open. But again, if Riley has a really strong spring, it would probably be easy for them to just kind of shift Camargo into back into a utility role or just have him play sparringly with with Riley. But, but right now, I would go ahead and operate on the assumption that Camargo will open the season as the third baseman, and we'll see how it transpires from there. Okay, very nice. I like that. That's kind of along the same lines I was thinking, especially when you hear Alex, the way he talks about Camargo. It's just kind of a different tone that he uses when he talks about Riley. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Alex doesn't believe in Austin Riley because Alex is a very smart man. Alex knows that Austin Riley was a top 25 prospect for a reason and that you saw him belt like 15 homers in the span of like a month last season. Um, but there's a little bit of a different tone when he talks about Camargo. I don't know if it's more he feels bad about how much Camargo struggled coming off the bench last season or what. Uh, but it is good to know that they do believe that the adjustments that Camargo made at AAA are for real. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really, really encouraged by him. Uh, his conditioning, which was uh, subpar last year, uh, to put it lightly, much better. Uh, he's been extra motivated. He's known, uh, the, the way he put it was he just wants to get back to himself. I think last offseason was a learning experience for him, and I think that really set the tone for his disappointing year. I think that the transition into the utility role, you know, that played a role. There's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. It was his first winter not playing winter ball. 
So this year he was able to kind of reevaluate everything, and he took it really seriously. And the Braves have spoken glowingly of him. Uh, Alex Smith, uh, Freddie, uh, just other teammates have just – they've had a lot of positive to say about Camargo. So, you know, they're, I mean, they're cautiously optimistic. But for right now, I think they feel okay with him opening the season as their starting third baseman. We'll see if something changes in spring. You heard it here first. Gabe Burns, the best beat writer in the business. Gabe, again, man, thank you so much for coming on our first show and just coming out on a random podcast for that first time. And thanks for coming on this 100th episode, man. We always enjoy talking to you. Of course. Thanks for asking me on, you guys. I really appreciate it. Of course. We hope you had just as good of a time on the 100th as you did on the first, if not better. If nothing else, hopefully we're more polished. (laughs) It was great. Awesome. All right, well, thank you again, Gabe, all you listeners out there. Make sure you stay tuned. As I said, we're going to have three segments this week. Not one, not two, but three. So stick through the break. We'll be right back with another buddy of ours, Garav Adak, and then you'll get your extra special. Thank you guys so much for joining us for our 100th episode. We'll be back right after this right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by that new Broadway smash, Rage Against the Vending Machine. Follow our hero, Tom Morello Yellow, as he leads the people of the Sunkist in a quest for socio-political justice, which is eclipsed only by his quest for snacks. Come rally around the family with a pocket full of Skittles and sing along with such sugary classics as Kit Kat in the Name of, Spree Now in the Fire, Renegades of Fanta, and Fistful of Starburst. Rage Against the Vending Machine. Mountain Dew what they told you. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 100th episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Doc and I so happy to bring you one of our favorite people. He's pro- he's been on the show more than anybody else, probably more than like four or five people combined. That is our good buddy, Garav Vidak, the sultry-voiced prospect king. Garav, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing a lot better after that intro. How you doing, man? I am so I'm so ready for baseball to get started. I I don't know uh, I don't know that I can fully express. Doc, I know you're feeling the same way. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it seems like just yesterday when we were getting our hearts ripped out, and you know everybody's got them put back in and surgically repaired and ready to have our hearts broken again this season. I mean, it's it's kind of the motto for Atlanta. It's, it, we should just change the official state motto to "One day this stuff's going to happen." <laughs> Georgia, this, where things just kind of happen. Eventually, we'll get it right. <laughs> this could be the year. This could be the year in some sport. GA's motto is this this year it's real. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Not to drive by my own college team here. But we brought Garav on, not just because he's one of our favorites, but because he also is a fun and awesome guy to talk to about basically all of this. Uh, but today we've got some special stuff. Whispering training only two weeks away. I'm going to start this off with one very quick question. Garav, 
What's your number one storyline at spring training this year? Oh man, let's let's see how this outfield is put together. Um, you know, the signing of Zuna, I think, was was massive just because it provides so much protection for Freeman. But on top of that, you know, you're uncertain what you're going to get from third base. Uh, you're kind of you kind of know what you're going to get from Marquez. You know, um, we'll see how that platoon, hopefully, a true platoon works out between Marquez and, and Duval. Uh, but signing signing Ozuna was was really a saving grace for us. You know, I, I still think we have. Potential issues with the starting rotation, but at least our our pen is really set. The right side of the infield dynamic. Add in Swanson, who hopefully has a, another year like last year and continues to build up that second half. Up the middle, you know, uh, Acuna. You know what you can get from him. You know what you can get from Albies. Uh, interested to see how how uh, Travis does behind the plate, calling a whole new cast of of characters is going to be difficult. But I'm sure he's done his research and is is getting ready for that. Uh, there's a lot going on in the spring training. Uh, a lot of positions that we thought were kind of set, especially, you know, I was very hopeful that Donald would re-sign. Um, but there should be some, some solid competition. I really want to see how Austin does. You know, this is, you want him to, to kind of own it and take over third base, and he's your, your cornerstone third baseman. But um, we'll see. You know, he says he says dropped a good amount of weight, been working on his swing, so... I'm really going to be looking at as I'm not going to put too much stock into his spring numbers, but you don't, you kind of just want to see those adjustments, see how he is tracking the ball. And, uh, that's probably number one for me. Succinct. What about you, doc? I am really, really interested in this fifth starter competition. I mean, the third base, the third base competition is still kind of open-ended, you know, the, with the, the, Grievance being resolved, you know, I, th- I think that the Chris Bryant thing is something to keep an eye on on the periphery and the, and the Camargo Riley thing. But I think that which, which, whichever way you look at it, there, there will be some level of success there. But the fifth starter thing, you have just have so many more guys that are striving for this one role. You know, you've got Kyle Wright, who quietly was unbelievable after June last year. You didn't see a whole lot of, of that at the major league level, but it was his most prolonged stretch of success. Uh, since uh, since he's been in the organization. So I think that he might have figured something out there. So he could be a really good candidate. You have Felix Hernandez, who more than anything, I think that would just be a really cool story. But may, maybe everybody's bringing up Anibal Sanchez. He's going to be the next Anibal Sanchez. And I don't, I don't necessarily know about that. But he's probably better than he was in Seattle. He's going to have a really good defense behind him. Sean Newcomb, is he going to make that big triumphant return? from the bullpen and finally sees the starter role. You know, is Bryce Wilson going to do it? Is it going to be Tukey? I mean, everywhere you look, there's somebody that wants to fill that role. And that's like the only hole that there is, barring an injury, knock on wood. But I really think Kyle Wright could be, I think he could have the inside track more than he's getting credit for. But what about you, Dylan? I see. I like what you said about Kyle Wright, but the guy that I'm going to continue to watch for this fifth starter role is Tucker Davidson. Uh, Tucker's the guy that when the Braves took him, what, 19th round, uh, 2015 or 2016? Was it? He was in that 2016 draft. It was it was one of the late teen rounds. 19 sounds right. It was 19th round. Uh, and they drafted him thinking he was going to be a reliever. It kind of looked like what he was going to be early on. But what he's been able to do not just to his body, but to his overall repertoire and his overall stuff by working with driveline the past two seasons. I mean, he's coming in clocking in 98. He threw 100.2 off the mound. Uh, 
him being able to add real velocity to go along with his movement, that's a very big thing for Tucker because Tucker is one of those guys that before the velocity spike kind of looked like you were going to have to kind of play around because he was really sitting only about 92, which is not not enough to overpower today's hitters. But now with the fastball working that quickly, he can work on his, his changeup off it. it doesn't, his changeup doesn't have to be Cole Hamill's good in order to get outs now. Uh, you talk about his curveball that's been developing the whole time as he's working on biometrics with driveline. I'm very excited to see what Tucker does. He's a guy that generally doesn't walk a ton of people, likes to go after hitters. And, you know, there's not a lot of lefties in the National League. I'd like to have all of them. Interesting call. I mean, it would it would definitely be out of nowhere, but I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's as improbable as it might seem. He's got a lot of competition, though, no doubt about it. I say that to say that I think the fifth starter rotate. I think the fifth starter spot is truly open for whoever shows the best. I think Fulty has the inside track, obviously, uh, and then I think I think if I were to place bets, I would bet Bryce probably has the the slightest of leads right now over the competition. Because I think the Braves feel pretty confident in what you're going to get with Bryce. You're not going to get the ups and downs like you will with some of the others. Last year, I kind of got a throw by the wayside a little bit because with the introduction of the new baseball, those guys were having to kind of figure some other stuff out on the fly. Uh, I, I like Kyle Wright. I like his stuff a lot. I do kind of, I still wonder if he's going to be bullpen or starter. Uh, but he is 24, so he I believe he is the oldest of the prospects besides Tucker. I think Tucker's 24 as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um those two guys are both on the 40, and, and once you get to about 24, 25, basically Sean Newcomb's age, teams kind of tend to rush you a little bit to get you up there so you don't lose all your value for being a 26-year-old still in AAA. It's still, uh, whenever we talk about Kyle Wright, it still makes me sad about Joey Dale. But, uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I, totally agree. I totally agree with you guys. I mean, he obviously has the highest feeling of, out of those, except maybe, like, Someone like Ian Anderson, but uh, I would love for him to take that step forward just to make me not as sad every day. Uh, everyone knows, I think, I think I, I kind of talk about my love for Joe Adele, and I'm quite open about it. That doesn't mean I'm not super stoked about Kyle, right? Because if, if everything's going for him, you know, we have, our, we have our ace. So I would love nothing more than that. I think that if if he'd had slightly more success at the big league level, because, I mean, you can see it varies from pitch to pitch, and it wasn't really until he came back as a reliever at the end of the year when Wright finally had that, like, super overpowering aspect of his game, at least at least in the big leagues. And so when you're comparing it against somebody like Joe Adele, who's right now, he's a top three prospect in the game, depending on... Uh, depending on where you look, I mean, and and Wright's still on the same list. He's just considerably farther down. You know, he's down in the 60s now, and he was a top 30 guy last year. So, I think that he's got he's got a lot to gain and a lot to lose this year because he can't fall too far behind in the pecking order. And especially when you start looking at that, I mean, it might be a, a slightly unfair comp between the two, but I get it. I mean, Adel is just freakishly athletic. I think he was the guy that I chose as my point guard. If we were gonna, if we we're gonna make a uh, make an NBA team of, uh, of baseball players, or no, he was my shooting guard just because he's because he's mega athletic. So anyway, so that, that's the the end of my uh, my thoughts on Joe Adell. That's two times out of three episodes. Not bad. I mean, anytime we can mention Joe Adell or Daysbell Hernandez, it's a pretty good day. We haven't got the Daysbell yet, but I'm sure we will. Uh, Gee, if I were to ask you. In keeping with the fact that you on the road to Atlanta podcast and working with Talking Chop do a ton of prospect analysis, um, everybody by now has heard us talk about Phil Pfeiffer. And if you didn't, if you 
haven't heard us talk about Phil Pfeiffer, you need to take a look at what, what Pfeiffer did last season. That is a true come-out-of-nowhere story. As a guy that was a 27-year-old reliever, it was really just thought of as an organizational filler. All of a sudden, he's got to start a few times, and just for whatever reason, something clicked that didn't click when he was a reliever and started dominating. I believe he got a, a, an NRI to spring training as well. It'll be interesting to see what the Braves feel about him, if they try to keep him as a starter, if they want to bump him back to the pen. But I really want to ask, because every year it seems the Braves have a prospect that has this huge blow-up, whether it's uh, Wasker Enoa last season who went from, what was it, high A all the way up to the major leagues, uh, whether it's Luis Gohara, who still makes me cry, who went three levels in a season, Jaciel De La Cruz, I believe, went three uh, three levels as well. Who do you see this year as being that kind of blow-up candidate in the minor leagues? So if we're, if we're talking straight pitchers, uh, I would... That's a, that's a really, really good question. Uh, you know, I, I would say Victor Vodnik, but I'm pretty sure he's already really super highly thought of, so that's kind of an easy answer. If I had to choose one that I think is going to have a strong season that maybe puts puts him back on a lot of people's radar, maybe not even radar, but just like solidifies himself as a as a really good tier prospect, uh, I would probably go Tyler Owen, uh, just because I really, really like what he can do. He's, he's, he's like a, he's a pure reliever prospect. So there's not, you know, you're not going to have the upside of him potentially doing the same thing as Pfeiffer did, but he could be absolutely dynamic. He could have, he could overpower hitters at times. Uh, if it all comes together, I could totally see him rising up the ranks, finding himself, you know, knocking at the door over at AAA, trying to establish himself as a, as, you know, a potential 2021 candidate for that, uh, for the Braves team, which would be, you know, pretty meteoric rise if you ask me. I like Owens. I like Owens a lot. You mentioned Victor Vodnik. I I see a lot of similarities between those two. I think um Yeah, yeah. And I mean they're they're pretty similar uh pretty similar in stature. I mean that's that uh Marcus Stroman, JB Bukowskis mold. You know, there there's no reason why you should be able to throw that hard with with that size. But yeah, Owens is a really really good call, I think. What about you, Dylan? Who's your who's your breakout guy? I'm going to go away from pitchers just because that kind of tends to be what everybody likes to think. Uh, I'm going to say Michael Harris. He's a guy that was tearing up the GCL now. I know he's still Ooh, young. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that he's going to jump up all the way to AAA because it's going to be fairly crowded once you get up past AA. But I think uh, I think you'll see him in high A by the end of this season. I think you'll get some some Rome experience, and then he'll jump up because that that bat is ferocious. His bat speed is really really good, and he plays a really solid outfield. He plays a lot better of an outfield than I thought. I'm also going to throw out a prospect that a lot of people have not heard of, uh, but it was one of the one of my favorite picks of last year's draft, and that's Stephen Paulini. When he came in last year. Uh, very raw, not a lot of video on him, wasn't in, in a well-stocked area prospect-wise. So he, he was very raw, but he's got tools off the board. He's kind of that perfect size that you look for projection, uh, about 6'1", 6'2", right around 185 pounds. And if you're looking at it, when you look at his swing, it is a beautiful swing. I love what I've seen from him working in the cage this offseason, getting bigger and stronger to kind of deal with the rigors of, of uh, playing more games. I think you're going to see... A statement from Paulini. I don't think he's going to jump into the top 15 or anything, but Paulini's been kind of left behind these lists of some of the other guys he was drafted with, guys like Mackay Backstrom and Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom. I think Paulini's going to show that uh, he's he's a he's a guy with a lot of great tools in his own right. 
Uh, just to add on to Michael Harris, like, you know, I, I think the talking shop, I think we, I think we had him at like 12 overall. And there's a reason for that. Like the, he's got, he's got that special tool, like the special tool set available to him. I love how they were super aggressive having Roman while he didn't hit well, he did not look overpowered for someone that's facing, you know, college age pitchers and he's straight out of high school. Like that, that, that kid could be something special. I'm, I'm really excited about him. I thought that was interesting, too. I mean, they usually, for the high school guys, especially somebody that was dividing time between being a position player and a pitcher, they usually will slow walk those guys. You're going to spend plenty of time in the GCL, and you know maybe you'll get a couple months in Danville the following year. I mean, they they jumped him, and they put him, like you said, right in Rome in his high school year, and it's that says a lot to me. I mean, and they... They kind of revamped their player development department after the season, or they they have got somebody who I think is going to help them not be quite so aggressive with the promotions. I said this on Road to Atlanta too. There were some really bizarre promotions last year that were prob- that may not have been deserved in some cases, and and I I hope that they will kind of slow walk Harris a little bit and not just push 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 because I mean there's been such an initiative to push all of these guys so hard. And you kind of get to a log jam in some points. Like you're seeing it with the pitchers in, in AAA right now. There's all these guys that, you know, are they ready? Are they not? Well, I don't know. Just hang out in Gwinnett for a little bit while, while we try and find a spot for you or something. And while there might be a clearer path for somebody like Harris, I hope that they they let him figure it out. They let him transition fully out of being a pitcher and full-time into being an outfielder. And uh, I think that he could be... He could be a really, really special guy uh, as well. He was going to be my pick. So for all of the reasons that are previously stated, Michael Harris is my guy as well. I just love guys with elite bat speed, and Harris has that. Another player that really has that happens to be maybe Garov's favorite prospect aside from Dave Bell Hernandez in the system. Makai Backstrom. Garov, you kind of spearheaded the whole Makai Backstrom fan club movement and, and got some traction on Twitter with Makai himself. Uh, but for those of our listeners who aren't really familiar with Makai yet, who've just kind of seen the name, Tell him why Makai Backstrom makes you oh, so excited. Man. man. All right. First of all, we have a legitimate first base prospect in Freddie Freeman. Uh, we haven't had anyone in the system, like, I'm not going to say worth it, but, like, you never really saw any kind of elite talent there. So just having a potential, you know, a potential, potential player to, to come in near the end of his career and kind of train with Freddie is huge. Uh, it's the backseat, man. He's got crazy bat speed he has tons of raw power he can he can hit the ball a country mile like there's that new video he, he tweeted out a, a video i think last week of him in the cage and yeah like it's a cage but you can see the speed on on his bat right there uh he's going to he's, he's i mean he's not going to be like an elite first baseman in terms of defense but he's more than capable of handling his own at first it's just nice to have someone you can slot when you're doing your your projections for the depth chart by position in the Braves organization to actually have someone underneath Freeman. They're like, okay, yeah, I can actually see it. Like to be able to, I'm not going to task him with that and saying, Hey, that's who you, that's, that's who shoes you have to fill or anything like that. Because Freddie is going, you know, I don't have to talk about his career. Everyone sees it every single year, but just having someone there is huge. Not only just like, in my mind, it's nice to be able to say, Hey, we have a first base prospect. But that being said, like, again, his bat is his bread and butter. You know, I'd love, I, I really want to get my eyes on him this year. Uh, he's got the potential to be really special, uh, at, again, with his bat. I've said that quite a few times. And someone you should definitely watch. 
I'm a little upset that you just said there were no first baseman prospects when my boy Bryce Ball is about to put up a 30 homer season. Oh, but you oh, know, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's very very fair. But Bryce Ball is more of a uh, I don't even know how to say it, a superhuman. I mean, dude's like 15 feet tall and like 500 pounds and hits the ball like 900 miles. I I don't get how I I I think there was a something in talking shop that we did last uh, last season that was like who could you see undergoing the most change? And I was like, maybe Bryce Ball because he's 15 feet tall. Like, you're going to have a hard swing for two just freaking masses all the time uh, last season. I mean, it's going to be a fun race. You know, obviously Ball is higher on the chart just because Backstrom's super young. I, I think Backstrom has a higher higher talent level. But, you know, that's not bad competition. No, it's certainly a nice... I certainly want to watch some home run derbies between them. Um, one of the things, you just brought up Freddie, and I think it's important to point out, everybody's heard uh, Freddie's comments from Chop Fest talking about the injury, um, talking about how he would probably would not have played in the NLCS had they won Game 5 or Game 4. Um, but mentioning that he got surgery on this and that it's been hurting him for nine years, it raises a few questions for me. One, if you want me to spin this on the positive side, it does show how tough Freddie Freeman is because to have multiple bone spurs and one that hadn't fallen off the elbow yet, that's very painful. Uh, on the other hand, like, dude, it's been nine years. What are you doing? Yeah, the, that was kind of a weird move. I mean, and his hands were tough. I mean, I don't think that he's just outright lying about the level of pain he was in. It just, this continues to be one of those things that no matter what angle you look at it from, it's just unfortunate. But yeah, maybe he should have addressed it before it became like a decade old problem. When you're measuring that your problem in decades, then it's your fault. Maybe like 2016 when we were still a horrific team might have been a good year to have that elbow fixed. You know, it would have been nice to have lost a few more games that year. You know, maybe at that point you move up a couple spots and, uh, you know, you take somebody else. That, that How do you not, like, even ask for help? If I, like, if I like, trip over my shoes, I'll, I'll, I'll complain for, like, 30 seconds to myself before asking for help. Like, to have, to have like, major elbow problems and then not say anything for a decade, like, what? I... I, I Props to Freddie for having that kind of pain tolerance. At the same time, like don't mortgage your future just for now. Like he's got to, he's got to. I, I don't like no disrespect to him, but he's got to, he's got to take care of himself. He's got to put himself first. And so appreciate you putting the team first, but take care of yourself, man. And don't be selfish. And when I say selfish, I'm not meaning as like, you know, I'm saying, oh, he's a selfish, you know, dickhead. I'm not talking about stuff like that. But there is a point where there is a selfishness in the thought process of I'm just so much better than the person behind me. I have to be on the field if my team wants to win this. I'm not saying it's a bad selfish. Every great player has that where every great player thinks that at 60%, they're still better than their backup and they still help their team win. So I'm not saying that I'm just saying, uh, maybe be a little bit smarter or, or you know, maybe sit a couple games in the season, man. You don't have to play 158 every year. Uh, luckily, luckily, I think we will see that. Otherwise we might see the first case of a GM, hitting his manager over the head with a baseball bat to install a new manager. Uh, but talking about that, the Braves have done a lot of work this offseason. Uh, I don't know that they've had any of the majorly splashy moves. Ozuna's a, a nice move, and he's a flashy player. I don't know that I consider it a splashy move. Uh, but they did do a great job of trying to round out all of their problems. Uh, if you were to grade, and Doc, I'm going to start with you on this one. If you were going to grade 
all four areas of the Braves team, the uh, the offense, the bullpen, the starting rotation, uh, pitching staff. Or, and the bench, I'm sorry, the bench is that fourth one. Uh, what would you give them, 1 to 10? Based strictly on what they did in the offseason or just overall where it stands now? Okay. Um, I think for the lineup, I'd probably go like A minus maybe. Or, or are we doing scale of 1 to 10? I'll do both. I'll do eight and a half. How about that? Is that that about good for A minus for like a nine? You know, like you you want that big piece. The the Chris Bryant thing, maybe. Like as like I even said just a couple minutes ago, like the maybe you keep your eye on something like that. But if you go in into the season as it is now, you just have some question marks. Which Dansby do you get? Like Garab alluded to. Um Travis Darno, he's gonna be a really good piece to put in there. And luckily he doesn't have to be the cleanup piece. Um, will Camargo, <clears throat> excuse me, will Camargo be the guy? Will Riley be the guy? Bunch of questions. But I think that the top four is good enough. You saw it last year. When your top four is going and you've got some good guys, even if they're in some level of cold, you're still going to have somebody step up and, you know, you can rely on that top four to do a lot. So that gets a, an A minus or a nine for me. Uh, rotation gets... Rotation gets a seven because the fifth spot is undecided and same question with which Fulty. I think Soroka and Freed, I think is pretty, pretty lights out. I think Hamels, um, you know, he is going to be a little, little bit older. I mean, they're, they're all going to be a little bit older than they were last year, but, uh, you know, Hamels in particular, you start to notice it a little bit more because he's getting in the back end of his career. So maybe he's not as effective as he was when he was with Chicago, but I think he's pretty solid. Fulty, I really liked what I saw from him last year. Yes, even in Game 5, that wasn't all his fault. Uh, so I think that he's got a pretty good claim on the 4 spot, but I think that they could they could take a step forward. Um, somebody has a really good opportunity to stake their claim there. Uh, the bench, I actually, I like the bench. I'm going to give the uh, bench another A-. minus. I think that because you have so many outfielders, I think that you're just bound to have a good bench because you, you're going to, you know, two of the guys are going to start every day, and you've got three guys who would likely be starters in other places that are going to be rotating for that. So the offshoot is you have two good bats on the bench. You have Hechevarria back there. You have either side of the uh, Flowers or Darno platoon. I think that's absolutely serviceable. Uh, maybe you you hope you could get somebody who's like a, like that Billy Hamilton type or like a Terrence Gore, that's somebody that's just a blazer that can get on base and be like your de facto pinch runner. But that, that might actually wind up being Ender's job. And the bullpen, I've... Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I don't even know what to rate the bullpen because last year I thought the bullpen was going to be good and I think this one's going to be lights out so it's probably going to suck so I'm going to give it like a four there we go yeah absolutely and uh, and I just realized that uh, that I didn't give the bench a number and I'm still not going to I just want to point out that I noticed that what about you G the lineup, I would, I would probably give it an eight. Again, I'm you know mainly harping on the third base. I'm not sure who's going to play there. Right field, how they're going to handle the, the platoon there? How they're going to you know actually no, that's that's, that's it. So I give that an eight. Bullpen, I'm going to say a nine. I I really like the pieces they got they put together. Uh, I think the bullpen has a chance to be absolutely lights out and pretty much get a get them a lead going to seventh inning, and you should get the the W. Uh, bench. Like Doc has really, really liked the bench. Very versatile bats. Uh, 
lots of experience there too. I'm going to give them a nine. Uh, rotation, like you said, I'm, uh, you know, the fifth spot's up for grabs. You know, you don't know what you're going to get from Hamels. Uh, you know, everyone loves to rope the free. Um, I'll give the rotation a seven. Uh, overall, though, for the offseason, if I had to give a grade, I don't know you didn't ask the question, I'll probably give the offseason a, a solid A minus. A lot of good acquisitions, but unfortunately, we did have quite a few holes. Um, but I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to the season as well. I don't disagree with that. If, I think if I were going to do it, the lineup I'm going to give a seven. I think they have a chance to be better than that. The top four, is, I think the top four can hang with anybody's top four in baseball. In fact, I think our top four is right up there with within probably the top five as far as one through four in the lineups. Uh, it's after that that I kind of start to get a little bit of questions. Now, depending on who is rolled out which day, uh, if Ender is starting in center field, you know, for, for the most part, you're not going to get anything offensively from him. Um, Dansby, I'm I'm wanting to see. Uh, he took a lot of great steps last year, but that injury thing, man, there always seems to be that point where he just kind of can't touch anything for a month. If he can get a little bit more consistent, that'll help out the lineup immeasurably. Um, the other piece on that, I don't know what Darno is going to do or how much he's going to play. I like Darno's signings as far as the statistical reasons. He's a better player than Brian McCann and Tyler Flowers, um, but you can't really trust him to play 125, 130 games. Um, we'll see. I like his addition lineup in the fifth spot just for the simple fact that it moves Marcakis out of the fifth spot and, and really to the bench. Um, I think I'll give a I think I'll give a seven to lineup with the potential to get to an eight or a nine. The the bullpen I'm going to say is an easy nine with a chance to be one of the top bullpens in all of baseball. Uh, with the new rule coming in this year where pitchers have to face a three batter minimum, the Braves have done a great job assembling a bullpen where the guys don't have significant struggles versus opposite-handed hitters. Uh, all, all of these guys, essentially, that are in the main, what we call the bullpen, between, uh, between guys like uh, Luke and Chris Martin, Will Smith, Darren O'Day, uh, Shane Green, all these guys, and even Newcomb if he ends up in the bullpen, uh, th- these are guys that are, are used to facing basically every hitter and not just being specialized in one unit. So I think that's a leg up that the Braves have that not a lot of other teams have in this first year of the rule. The bench, I think, is the strongest part of the team, and that is not something I would have said last year. I'm going to give the bench an 8, and I think it could be even higher. The only reason I'm not going to give it a 9 is because you look at like the Dodgers and they have like 5 20-homer guys sitting there on the bench. Uh, but with the Braves, you've got significant power with Riley and Duvall when either one of them isn't starting. Uh, when Camargo's on the bench, that's a guy that's very versatile that can do a lot of good things. If we go back to his 2018 tape, uh, you talk about uh, if Ender or Marcakis, both of those two would are are great additions off the bench. I don't like either of them as starters particularly highly, but off the bench they're very great. Especially when, especially in Marcakis's case, when you can use him uh, against righties and not have to, you know, have him play against lefties all the time. We'll see how well that works out. But uh, you talk about Echeverria, who can play really good defense and took some offensive strides last year. Maybe Charlie Culberson gets it as well. The fact that you're going to have like a three man competition for the final spot on the bench lets you know how the team is feeling about the bench right now. It's in a much better spot than it was last year. I do hate losing Matt Joyce. I would rather sign Joyce and let Marcakis go. Um, but you know, good props to Matt for going to Miami. Hopefully, he's able to to try to work himself into a starting role. Guy was performed excellent last year. I believe he's the top ten in OBP. Uh, between everybody, the rotation is probably where I'm the lowest. I'm going to say a six on the rotation. And 
like everybody knows I'm super high on Soroka. I'm higher on Freed than I am Soroka, which just lets you know how much I, I think of Max Freed. Uh, I love Cole Hamels. I think that Cole Hamels, last year when Cole Hamels was healthy, you can't really look at his last 10 starts because he had the oblique injury. Before then, he was absolutely, uh, had absolutely rediscovered his form, and it's because of his changeup. Uh, and I think he's, he's going to be great to work with for these young guys. My problem with the rotation is the problem I've had with them really since Smoltz left or, or Huddy left is that they don't really have a true number one. Uh, Soroka is going to be the de facto number one. And now there's nothing, there's nothing to say that they don't make a move and change that. But as it stands right now, I don't think, well, I don't want this to seem like a dig at Soroka, but I've been pretty straightforward that I think Soroka's ultimate home is a two, a guy who doesn't have, you know, elite strike them out numbers. Guys that give up contact, I tend to kind of rate a little bit lower than guys who can fan 15 in the game. But I think, I think it's consistent. I think that's going to be the biggest difference. If, you're talking about Fulte or Felix being the two question marks in your rotation. Uh, I think our top three is very consistent in what they're going to do. I'm very happy with it. So I think you can win with this rotation. I'll tell you that. I wouldn't take it over Washington's or New York's, but I think you can win with this rotation. Agreed. I think that's that's a really strong point. It doesn't have to be as good as the other rotations. It just has to be really good in its own right. You know, it, it needs to be good independent of comparison. And I think that for the first time in a couple years, top to bottom, you're kind of seeing that. I'm glad I don't sound like an idiot. Uh, Garab, we got one more question before uh, for you before we take another break here. Uh, this one is kind of a little bit different question. I don't know that we've ever phrased a question like this to anybody. Uh, Doc mentioned briefly about Kyle Wright and how he kind of needs to take a bigger step forward this year. Um, if I were to ask you which prospect has the most to lose in 2020, who would you say? Ooh. Oh, boy. Um, most to lose? Honestly, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. That's actually really, really hard to really answer because I never want to really give up on a player. But if I had to say... For the most leagues, probably Bryce Wilson. Uh, you know, he, he's seeing he's seeing pitchers kind of jump leapfrogging leapfrog him over uh, the depth chart. You know, he, I still think he profiles better as a reliever, and I think he'll be a very elite reliever. Uh, it's just that that third pitch seems to be lacking quite a bit for me. Um, you know, if he, if he doesn't really put it together and put together a, a really really high quality season, we could see him start to make that transition to a reliever. Uh, that being said, I don't think the Braves are willing to really do that, especially still super young. Uh, I don't see them really doing that, but I, if I had to choose someone, I would probably say Bryce. That was actually uh, that was one of the questions that they asked me on Road to Atlanta when I took your spot. So I think it was only fair that you got asked that one. Uh, yeah, I will. I'll follow up and I'll say Bryce or CJ because I was super high on CJ, but again, terrible injury. I. Pretty much threw away all of his 2019 stats. Looking forward to seeing him hopefully fully, fully healthy and, and really re- restore himself as a prospect. But yeah, I mean, I hate saying it, but yeah, right. Fair enough. What about you, Doc? I, I kind of half agonized over this because it, it, just for the same reasons as G, like you don't ever want to look at somebody because if you frame this the wrong way, it sounds like you're saying that you don't believe in them. And unfortunately, the guy that I chose was a friend of the program, Justin Dean. And it's not that I think that there's anything wrong with his game. I think that he's 
with Acuna and with Pache and with Waters and then with Trey Harris in front of him, like he already has a lot to prove. And for as amazing as he is at what he does, he's not amazing at a lot of things. He's solid across the board. And when you do that, the things that you are really, really good at, like he's a legit 80 grade runner, right? But he, and he's a good hitter, but he's not a great hitter. He's a, he can hit for some power, but he doesn't hit for a lot of power. So his best path might wind up being in kind of that specialist role anyway. And it's like when you see a starter that winds up having to transition to a reliever, the amount of outcomes you have is not quite as robust. And so the the overall profile winds up being not quite as desirable. So um, I still wound up having Justin ranked as my number 17, but he's going to have to have like a really, really good year to keep from just getting kind of lost in the shuffle. He has leapfrog Grayson Genesta though I think I think we can at least agree on that yeah I, I wouldn't even bring Genesis name up here because there's not much more he can lose at this point um but to your to your Justin Dean thing I, I he almost looks like a Malik Smith that can maybe hit a little bit better or a little bit more consistent he can play a much better defense than Malik's I'll say so he might be a more well-rounded Malik's type which is good but you're right there's a lot of competition in the outfield and with Michael Harris right there behind him, too, that's a tough guy to, to try to hold off as he gets up. But I think the guy that I would pick, uh, and I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing him, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's Tukey. Uh, the Braves have had Tukey for, people forget that Braves have had Tukey for a while. Uh, he's still really, really young, but that's because he was really, really young when Arizona had him. Uh, Tukey's a guy that's constantly had to fight his own consistency issues with his command and with his release. Uh, even with his, his even with his arm angle at times, uh, he's a guy that we know how good the curveball is, but he's never really been able to command that fastball. And in the major leagues, man, it is so hard to succeed if you cannot control your fastball. If you rely on off speed, if you rely on an off speed pitch too highly, and you're not Mariano Rivera, who I know he threw a cutter, guys, but Mariano Rivera at the end of his at the end of his career, his cutter was in the 80s. I consider that an off speed. Um, you're talking about Tukey. He's a guy that he's been leapfrogged kind of in both spots. He's lost out on that fifth starter role. The Braves tried to have him take that fifth starter role when they moved Newcomb to the bullpen or they moved Newcomb down last year, and he kind of face-planted a little bit. Uh, They tried him out of the bullpen a few times, and he just couldn't command the fastball enough to throw strikes. And as we saw with Chad Sabatka, you can't throw strikes. It doesn't matter if you throw 100 mile an hour. People can sit on that and wait for the one good pitch you throw. Uh, I think this is a very, very important year for Tukey. I don't think he's going to start on the Major League Club. I think he's got a lot to prove just to maintain a rotation spot in Gwinnett because, as Doc mentioned earlier in the show, there's a lot of pitchers vying for innings down there. You're talking about Waskari Noah, Patrick Weigel, Tucker Davidson, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Muller, Jaseel De La Cruz. There's a lot of arms. Phil Pfeiffer as well. There's a lot of arms down there that are vying for time. So uh, I think... uh, I think I want the best for Tukey. He's an electric person. I love Tukey Toussaint, but this has got to be the year that he really steps up. Agreed. And you actually didn't even mention Ian Anderson in the in the Gwinnett Shuffle, and he's like sitting on top of the hill. So, yeah, I mean, he. I think uh, I think both of those. I think all of those are really good calls. So it yeah, gives it's really tough. I'm just, sorry, I was going to say it's really tough when you say Tukey, but yeah, I 100 agree. Like. You know what he's capable of. You have to fit together. Um, you don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does suck. I, I really love him as a person, and I hope I hope he succeeds. But uh, that's a that's a good addition to the list. 
I hope the best for him. I love Tuki Toussaint. Uh, but as is, we're running, we're out of time on this segment. We do have to keep our wives semi-happy tonight without us being up here recording for three hours. So, Garav, I just wanted to say one more time before you head out, uh, thank you so much for coming on our 100th episode. And uh, I, th- I believe this is your fifth time on the show. Uh, so we're able to get nice round numbers on each event here. Uh, thank you guys so much, and congratulations. That's quite the, uh, the accomplishment. I know it's not easy making your schedule work, you know, that frequently and being able to record, but you guys do a great job here, and I look forward to being on your 200th episode. Well, you might be my main host. If Doc keeps, uh, if Doc keeps going after Road to Atlanta, then I may have to uh, have a, a, a replacement <laughs> for him. Are we going to have to orchestrate a trade? <laughs> here, how about this? Once we swap, will you have me as a guest on TPS every once in a while? I mean, you were on Shellshock, too, so that would only make things fair, right? There we go. All right, everybody, thanks for listening so much. When we come back, uh, it'll be Doc and I kind of wrap it up with our thoughts on uh, kind of the journey to this point, how we're feeling about the offseason. Thank you guys so much for making it to this point. Thank you guys so much for helping us get to 100 episodes. Uh, we love you guys. I can't wait to get back to the show. So enjoy this quick break. We'll be back with our first ever third segment coming up here in just a second, right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Heavy Metal Crayons. From the same heathens that brought you jazzy gel pens and mariachi markers, try brand new Heavy Metal Crayons. Why color with boring old red when you can use lamb's blood or demon horn? Chant your vengeful mantras and pine for terminal desolation while using the all-new fire and flame shade of orange. We've even managed to identify the colors of anarchy and torture. Also, be sure to try the new Prince of Darkness edition, which is just 666 shades of black, including abyss, witch hunt, sin, and eternal death. Damnation. Heavy metal crayons. Patent pending. Off from my city, off from my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off it. Moving so phenomenally. Come on, like the way we rock it. So don't stop. Welcome back to episode number 100 of the Platinum Sabero Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Doc Herbert here. I am grossly unprepared for this moment because Dylan informed me about four seconds ago that I would be bringing us back in from break. I feel like I have stalled enough, but <clears throat> while I have your attention, do just genuinely want to echo some of the sentiments that have been jumping up through the course of this episode. It's, it's kind of tricky to record the hundredth one. I mean, it's such a significant number, it's hard to not reminisce and really get into looking back on things and get a little misty and weepy and all that. And uh, I'm just so incredibly appreciative of everyone who has listened, whether this is your first episode, you kind of chose a weird time to dive in, or if you've been listening from the very beginning, we just appreciate it because you're you're donating your time, which the older I get, the, realize, the more I realize that's like our most precious resource. So the fact that people continue to give it to us week after week is just the coolest thing. And you know, two years ago when we started this show, I didn't know what to expect, and it's grown bigger than I ever thought it was going to. So we have everybody who is listening to thank for that. Uh, I'm sure that we have lost some listeners along the way due to Dylan's absolutely scorching hot takes. Couldn't be anything I said. I try and stay in my non-controversial lane. But uh, yeah, so genuine thanks to everyone, and also special thanks to the Johnny Carson and my Ed McMahon, Dylan Short 
thank you for inviting me to be a member of the Platinum Sombrero. I honestly didn't think I was interesting enough to have a podcast. True story. I regret nothing, and I fully... I'm going to put it on at least, like, if any of us either makes it big, I'm going to put it in, like, one of those page ads that you can take out in the paper, if, like, newspapers still do that, where I can say that uh, I popped your podcast cherry. That's, that is true. Um, you know, I had, right when I was doing, I think it was the 2017 draft, which was the second or third year that I was doing the draft composite, um, Eric over at Talking Chop, uh, front of the program, Eric Cole, threw me a bone and said, you know, yeah, you can come on here and talk about the the obnoxious amount of work you have put into this. But uh, it, I was never really comfortable with it. Sometimes I wonder how comfortable I am now. But uh, but yeah, when you had me on Shell Shock the first time, and it was going to be like, you know, just come on, we'll talk for 15 minutes. We didn't really know each other at all, and we talked for like an hour and 15 minutes. <clears throat> that was a two-hour show. Yeah, that that wound up being a really long one. And like every time that you would have me on after that, it would just <clears throat> it would just push to abnormally long depths. God, I need some water. Talk for a minute. Ah. <laughs> it was one of those weird things back before I knew, <clears throat> like back before I had really learned to shut up and <laughs> learn timing. Because that's at the time when you know we weren't doing like like segments and anything really like that. We just kind of switch in between. We wouldn't take breaks in between. And I didn't like doing it that way, but it just kind of rolled with it. So uh, I'm glad it worked out. Shellshocked was a fun podcast. Jaquan is still my boy. Uh, he listens to us all the time. Glad he's still around and sending me uh, nice little updates from all of his favorite Gwinnett Stripers guys. So uh, Jaquan, make sure you're eyeballing Jaseel De La Cruz for me. I know you're going to hear this. Um, it is kind of amazing that in 100 episodes, we've gone from zero followers, to, or two, where you and I were the only followers of the show, to uh, what are we currently at almost 1,900, mm-hmm. closing in on two. That's right. And uh, every one of our listeners is, uh, I would say, counts for like three or four. All of our listeners are, are fun to interact with. I genuinely enjoy talking to all of our people, and it, it, makes, it, it makes it a little bit more fun, it makes it easier for us, too, knowing that... Uh, People, it's one of the, quite frankly, it's a little bit of an ego thing to, to, to think in your head, yeah, I know a lot about baseball and I, I can explain it really well and have a lot of people that are like, yeah, and agree with you. It makes you feel good. Uh, I just genuinely, I genuinely just enjoy uh, the interactions. I always try to, to at least respond to anybody that, that asks questions or talks to us. So I, I just like talking baseball. I know you do too. So it, genu- it, genu- it genuinely helps that you and I are friends outside of the show because <laughs> We dedicate a lot of time to these shows for people behind the curtain. It's not just the hour and a half that you hear that goes into this. Uh, a little peek behind the curtain. You're when you listen to an episode on Friday, between the show sheets that Doc is usually putting together, uh, the editing that he and I switch off doing, uh, the organization pre and post show. You're usually looking at around five hours of work to to go into one episode. So. Uh, it's always an experience. And then when we get to talking about which music we should use for shows now, today's is hundred percent mine. This was all my input. Um, but when we get to, when we do all this, if you're looking about five, six hours worth of time spent on the shows. Yeah. I mean, and it's, we certainly love doing it, but it, it is kind of one of those, one of those things that where it's like, Hey, I'm editing this week. Oh, okay. 
Good. Good. At <laughs> Let least... me just set aside two hours here. Yeah. Uh, at least I get to choose the music. So at least I don't get to do the, the one with, uh, <laughs> with three segments. But and, and, and that brought a whole different wrinkle for me because you edited the first 75 episodes. Like, the, it really felt like, and I know that you thought I was crazy for this, but at the very beginning... You were recording a phone call on your end. You had like your super nice, pristine microphone. And I'm just like the kind of <laughs> grainy guy that's calling in. You know, I'm like, uh, it's TPS with Dylan Short with special guest Doc Herbert or whatever, which <clears throat> whatever. But as we went on and it became, because at the beginning, dude, I didn't know what this was going to be. I didn't know that we were going to wind up getting to 10 episodes, let alone 100. And wasn't fully comfortable with and I still, I'll listen back to myself and editing. I'm like, Jesus Christ, get to the point. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> but like eventually it became like, you know, I got, I got the microphone and the soundboard and then I started doing the editing and everything. And like, I've always kind of thought that I've functioned best in that Ed McMahon role. Like I'm not a leader, dude. Like I'm, I, if I were a dog, I would not be the alpha. I would just be like the chocolate lab that just always rolls over on his belly and is like, whatever, just pet me, you know? And <laughs> but, but being able to like get in and do these things and put my stamp on it, like even when I do something and I listen back to something I edited, I'm like, oh, I could have done that better. I'm like, but you know what? I screwed it up. This was my screw up and nobody else's. And that feels good. So it's a little, it's kind of addicting once you really get into it. Cause it's just so much control. It, it, it's just, it, it is really fun once you get into it. Now, if you want to know something weird and I swear, I'm not just saying this for, for effect. Honestly, I knew we'd get to this point, like not to, not to pull back the curtains so much, but when I was transitioning from, from shell shock to strictly a Braves podcast, I went through a long list of people that I I was considering until I just, you know, really tried to narrow down who I actually liked talking to and who, you know, wasn't stuffy, like super traditionalist, but also wasn't like math is power type. <laughs> somebody, who, <laughs> somebody who showed a, a little bit of, of cognitive thinking to be able to, to, to straddle both sides and to be, you know, talk actual baseball instead of slaving to one side or the other. So, uh, I, I knew once we started, I knew after that, I knew really quite honestly, I knew after that shell shocked episode that I wanted to do more, uh, have you on a show more. So I, I, am not surprised that we've made it to 100. Um, I'm surprised that as many people, um, uh, follow along more for, <laughs> more for me than you. Uh, I'm surprised we have as, as much as we do. And I, I hope we continue to grow. Cause, uh, now that, now, now that I've had a little taste, I want more. We've definitely in the, we've actually, um, I'm not going to reveal the numbers with everybody, but this off season we are actually doing better than than we've ever done. Like during, and we've done two off seasons and two full during the season, and this is the best it's ever been. I don't know if we figured something out or like a hot prospect who suddenly has like a really good changeup or whatever, but like some whatever we're doing, and I don't know what it is. It's it's working. It's it's because I got the microphone. It's because I don't sound grainy anymore. Um, I, it's honestly, 100% the music. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, that's true. It does it does hook you from the beginning. And you know what I always find hilarious? And I, and we're just kind of going off the cuff here. We're, we're not really adhering to a show sheet, so we're, we're just jumping all over topics. For as many different reviews as we have been given, there always is a reference to the intro and how awesome the intro is. And I and I remember even like the first time you sent it to me. And cuz I'd never I knew the ZZ Top song 
just got paid. I didn't know gots to get paid. So I thought you were talking about a whole other song. And you sent me the intro. I'm like, oh my God, that is perfect. I would keep listening. If I'd never heard it before, I would keep listening just on account of the intro. So... I mean, that's another thing, too. Like, we took a lot of time before we really started up the first show. It took us a long time to decide on the name. Uh, the We went through a lot of potential intro songs, and then I, quite honestly, it took me a little bit longer than I expected to make that intro, but it ended up taking me probably about three hours to settle down and get the timing on that intro. So, uh, I mean, quite honestly, it's really thanks to you guys, the listeners, that we've even gotten to 100. Um, like, like I said, it, it really, we are just totally grateful that... Uh, you guys seem to enjoy the format and, uh, you know, makes you smile a little bit. Makes uh makes me feel like we're all kind of warm and, and fuzzy. Even when you guys don't like when, uh, when I come out with, with some certain hot takes, you know, there's, there's some, sometimes I can be a little bit, uh, I can be a little flamboyant, but, uh, you know, it, it works for us and it seems to work for all of you. So, uh, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so very much for, for listening. Uh, this year's going to get to be, very, very, a very fun ride, especially as you and I are both expecting the Braves to go very deep. Uh, I'm going to have a child by the time we're nearing the end of the baseball season. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be a very, it'll be a very different year for TPS in 2020. Um, very much looking forward to, to the continued growth and thanks to armchair media, by the way, uh, they, we locked in with them early and just seen a ton of growth since we've done it. I mean, the, the network is awesome. They don't try to change anything we do. They let us just be us, and uh, really, it, it it tends to work out. It's almost a perfect storm of I really when I when I've always I've always liked doing podcasts, but I honestly I never really thought I'd have a podcast that I enjoy doing as much as I do this one. Uh, really, I, I honestly I just think we're, we're a perfect match. No, I I love I love the format and truth, man. I've I've learned a ton. Just I, I thought I knew a lot about baseball. And, you know, I've learned so much from you and from from our guests that have come on here. And, you know, you start looking at different perspectives on things when you when you're dedicated. I mean, figure we've logged uh, 90. So, how many? 150 hours or something. I mean, that's like a at, week. Yeah, at least um, at least because we had a few episodes that were 300 but that were three hours long. Yeah, we we have. Man, we've kind of cleaned up. <laughs> cleaned <laughs> that up first episode edges. with Jeff. But our second was it our second episode ever? Was Jeff the third? That one was literally a three-hour episode. We didn't finish until almost ten o'clock that night. You know, I remember when we did. Uh, it was the seventh episode we ever did. It was with Jason Waddell. It was the first time we ever had him on. Jason is the only guest we ever had who wound up getting us uh, a one-star review. <laughs> The only guest we've ever had that did that. Wasn't it exactly 69 F-bombs that he totally did that on accident? Yes. Yeah, 69 F-bombs, completely accidental, and it took Dylan two and a half hours to edit that that week. I would have just slapped just the explicit bleep on that there and just out. let just, it go. Just, but just to do that. When oh, for that particular episode, I remember, you know, it started out, it was going to be just like, 40 minutes or something like that. And then it kept going and going and going because everything was loose and flowing and everybody's like, you know, this is the first time I'd ever felt like mega comfortable on an episode. And then it was like he was going to a concert that night and you could gradually hear like his buddy got there and then the buddy came in and then they they did whatever putzing around. And then at the end, Jason was like, dude, I'm in the car. You have got to let me get off the phone. And we're like, oh, okay, sorry. We don't, we don't know how to end things yet. <laughs> so, but... <laughs> 
That wound up being one of my favorite episodes, I think. And in, in all the times we had Jason on, he we had he's not even in the industry anymore, I don't think. By his own no, he, he's uh, out of the industry, but uh, he's always been fun to talk to. Honestly, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed every episode that we've ever done. Uh, I still think the Carlos Colazzo episode always sticks out to me. I enjoy talking to Carlos. All the Gabe episodes are always fun because Gabe Gabe loves to talk the sport as much as we do. So we end up talking with Gabe for like an hour after the, after the segments end anyway. Um, and the episode of Mike Petriello, I always find myself going back and referencing that one just because Mike is so smart and, uh, it, he, he's really good at thinking things that seem like people should have thought of them before. Um, and then he just kind of expresses it like the whole Coors field thing with, with why you see sliders instead of curves, just something simple like that. I, I thoroughly, but quite honestly, I've enjoyed every single guest we've had on, and um, really, I, I'm just ready to get some more. I'm ready for our boy Patrick Weigel to get that first pitch in a major league game, so we can have an actual major league player on. That that is coming. That is coming very soon. And uh, e- even though it will wind up being with the Orioles when it happens, uh, Bruce Zimmerman is another one that that we are pulling for. for Invited the- to spring training, by the way. What's that? Invited to spring training, yeah, by the way. Yeah, that's Zimmerman. right. That's right. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, he was just such a cool and gracious dude. Uh, still, God, that mustache was so great. That was just really so wonderful. Furious I mustache. I remember when we had Brian Bridges. That felt like a really landmark episode. That might have been. That might be my favorite episode ever. That was really good. I remember. <laughs> I remember having Taylor Blake Ward on and the dude was doing construction like in his <laughs> office. <laughs> we had to stop that episode three or four times. Oh man, that's right. Well, he he disappeared in the middle of it because he had to go do something else. <laughs> there was construction going on and he didn't have a phone. I think that's what it was. So we had to do it through Skype and the connection was tra- like the whole time. We were like <laughs> <laughs> like two minutes into it, I'm just like, oh my god, we, we no- almost quit. Taylor, if you're listening to this, we almost, we almost just dipped out of that episode and <laughs> just said, screw it. Well, we'll get this guy on again in two years. Speaking of which, well, we Taylor have- <laughs> should be should be coming back on soon. Um, He'll be joining us for the you know for the AL West previews. He gets to brag a little bit about his Angels getting Anthony Rendon. That's right. And I also remember Dan when we had Dan Simborski on, he came on last year to talk about the zips projections if we played extra innings. We <laughs> and this was the best answer in the history of extra innings. When we asked him what his bat signal was, he's like, No, 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 no bat signals. You text Batman. You can't just hope that I'm like staring up at the sky and not in the middle of doing something. Like, what if Batman's at dinner? No, you text Batman. You don't, the bat <laughs> signals are stupid. I cried. Like, I was legitimately crying on the other end of the phone when we were doing this. Uh, oh, the extra God. inning segment is, is still always my favorite. And I know it's all of yours as well. So, uh, you know, just we didn't we didn't want to go too deep here in this final one. We really just wanted this to be a look back and, and a sincere thank you to you guys. So we decided that uh, we would do a little bit of we do a little extra innings on this show. Just some questions that we haven't done in over a year. Like these are all questions that we probably did within the first three or four episodes. Uh, so all of those those of you who are you know weren't with us from episode one, I don't hate you guys. I still love you guys just as much as I love the guys who have been there from the very start. Um, Send us your answers as well. Um, you Patreon subscribers, you guys should be uh, taking a look at some things come the season. I've got some plans for you guys for the Patreon. Um, but for, for those of you at home who uh, like to play extra innings, 
Doc, I think if I could ask you, could I leave this one off, please? Oh, of course, by all means. You can ask every single one of these if you want. All right, well, I, I don't usually get to lead extra innings, so <clears throat> without further ado, Doc. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just about getting really into that. <laughs> Question one. What is an inconsequential hill you are willing to die on? Um, <laughs> I have been pretty outspoken about this over the past <clears throat> couple of years. Um, I There is no part of me that believes for one second. I've seen the documentary. I've heard all about it. Doc Ellis did not throw a no-hitter on LSD. It did not happen. Stop telling people that. Stop believing that. All of the evidence is a hoax. It is garbage. And if you don't believe me, go eat some LSD and try and do anything for three hours. That's all I'm saying. It's impossible. It's impossible. I think I'm with you on that. I don't think you'd know what a baseball was, much less how to throw it for a strike. And, and you know, maybe maybe you get lucky and you string together a couple of really good curveballs, but it's the focus thing where it's like... It'd be staring off into the stands as the catcher goes to throw the ball back to you. It hits you in the face. Right. Or then it's just in the fourth inning. It's like, screw this. I'm going to go ride a bike or what, whatever. <laughs> you know? Anybody seen Alice? Yeah, he was, uh, he was riding around on the concourse. Uh, he was over by the hot dog stand over there. But yeah, I, just, I just can't believe it. I, there's... And I, every year on the anniversary, I wind up, somebody name searches for it, and I point out every time, there's no way it happened. And somebody's like, oh, sure it did. I saw the documentary. Yeah, whatever. I don't believe it. What about you? We, you have to get me off of this topic. Okay, so there's a bunch of hills that I'm obviously willing to die on as the quote-unquote hot take specialist of the show. Um, but this is a new one. Stephen and, uh, A. Shout Short. Out Bra- <laughs> Stephen A. Short. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Braves Marlowe for providing me the content here. I'm just going to go super petty on this. Uh, Judgment can be spelled J-U-D-G-E-M-E-N-T or without the E, you plebs. It is is a British English spelling of the word judgment with an E in there. Why? Because the word judge has an E on the end of judge. There's no apostrophe, which Doc, you so eloquently pointed out to me. There's no apostrophe after that G. So that E still belongs there. Just because it's just because we speak the American version doesn't mean that the British, which the actual first version of the English language goes away. Like color, you can spell it C O L O R or C O L O U R. So, sorry, Marla, you owe me an apology. To that point, if I can shed some light on this color versus color thing, would it make sense to spell color C O L O apostrophe R? Technically, on a technicality. Technicality, you could. As we get into the grammar portion of the show, which I know all of you love. There's a reason, Uh, Jeff Donahue. You can get caught in this too, (laughs) right? (laughs) Put it in for the reason. This is the apostrophe segment of the show, right? All right, so um, that's one hill. I'm not going to get into crazy ones here. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to that question again. You guys can hear my more crazy takes. I'm sure. Uh, But next question on the list for those of you at home, make sure you send us your inconsequential hills as well. But this one. This one, I can't wait to hear which one you pick. Uh, this used to be a non-political question, but I got tired of not hearing the funny answers. So, Doc, name one conspiracy that you fully buy into. Um, I watched JFK at a very impressionable time in my life. 
and I got kind of into like the idea of like the conspiracy, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby and 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 everything that w- that was going on at the time. <clears throat> and I was kind of into that. But then I went to the book depository. And I was in Dallas for work. God, this has been ten years. Some it's been a freaking forever. It was several jobs ago, and. Went to the book depository and went through the whole thing. I'm like, okay, well, maybe this makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. And then we're like outside on the sidewalk and this guy comes up to me. I could have sworn he was homeless. Maybe he was, maybe it wasn't. I, I didn't uh, didn't ask him for his address, so I have no way of verifying. But he spent a good four or five minutes trying to convince me that Woody Harrelson's dad was actually the mastermind behind killing JFK. So uh, my conspiracy theory is exactly that one. Woody Harrelson's dad <laughs> murdered John F. Kennedy. There you go. Okay. There you go. And that's the first time that's, I think I've ever been political on here. It didn't feel good. That's the take. That That's a JFK take that I have not heard before. <laughs> yeah. I bet when I started talking about that, that's not what you, <laughs> the direction you thought I was going, huh? Not at all. I think for me, now I could say like MK Ultra, but we already know that's true. Uh, as you can see, the CIA classified documents now as they're unsealed. Uh, I think one that I don't know how much I buy into it, but I certainly think it's more plausible than is led to believe that uh, Hitler never died in World War II, that he kind of escaped to Argentina. Do you know there is a, there's like a town in Argentina that is completely made of Germans, like white Germans, some that are mixed with some of the local population, but full on speak German, like Nazi type German in, in like this random, like, I don't want to call it a city, but like this random town in our, uh, I want to say in Argentina. I did not know Argentina that. or Chile. It's either Argentina or Chile. Yep. No idea. So yeah, there it is. Little Hitler clones could have been possible. That's, uh, that's, but no, for real, <laughs> but for real though, for, uh, for, uh, evil organization like that, that had so many weird escape routes and super plans and, building so many weird, crazy inventions like the other conspiracies that the United States had Tesla try to build a death ray to compete with Nazi scientists. Um, I don't know that you can really discount much. Like, it doesn't mean that stuff was successful, but I, you could tell me that they tried to make anything, and I would believe it. You know who I should probably consult on this? You remember, oh God, this was, okay, this is right after me and Val's anniversary, so this would have been the episode that was recorded in the last one in March. When I got the Uber ride home from the conspiracy theorist, I should have yes. asked. Yes, I need to oh. see what that guy's doing. That guy looks just like Jason Hayward. Like it's uncanny. <laughs> and that dude, I want to. I don't go back and re-listen to our episodes, especially not from like if I listen to one, it'll be like the most recent one. I'm not digging back into some old ones, but it's happened long enough, and my memory's bad enough to where I don't even remember everything that this wacko told me. So I'm going to go back <laughs> and listen to that. I remember something about 20-foot-tall people. Uh, Donald Trump is dead, and we're living a snow globe, and the earth is flat. But there, but I, I digress. <laughs> There's so many of these. that uh, for, That's one of my guilty pleasure things. I love watching like conspiracy theory shows. I will eat those up, even if I think they're the dumbest theory ever. I, I just love watching those shows. I really do. Uh, so there's a little guilty pleasure of mine. Now, I'm going to cut off one question short because we were only planning to go about 15 minutes, but in true TPS fashion, we doubled our time slot. Did we really? Of course we did. Uh, I'm going to end on this one. Doc, what is your least favorite word in the English language? 
I turn into like a 12 year old boy or maybe even younger whenever I hear this word. Like I can't even, I'm going to see if I can say this without <laughs> laughing. Pubes. <laughs> the word, word. <laughs> oh god and i i get it that it's like a short but like some oh some people hate moist the the word pubes makes me so freaking uncomfortable dude i can't even really tell you why have i said it so many times <laughs> because it's that type of humor that's a good one i never would have thought about a word like that <laughs> So the, bad. the one that I don't like, and it doesn't make me like squeamish or like grossed out or anything, but just a word that I really don't like saying, succulent. It just, <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. Well, that's in that same category of like words that that aren't sexual, but they kind of sound like they are a little bit. It just seems like an unnecessary word. <laughs> like it just means delicious. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just say delicious? Right, like it's not like delicious doesn't have its own connotations that could be construed as kind of weird or sexual sounding. Yeah, but just succulent is, is just a word. I've never found myself purpose like I've never found myself accidentally using succulent instead of delicious. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of those that like if you use it, you're using it intentionally. Oh, no doubt. And if you use it in a crowd of people, everybody in there is going, "Oh, good lord, okay." <laughs> Let me really. Yeah, you taking the SAT soon? Cool. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, did you read the dictionary? Thanks, Boyle. <laughs> hey, that comes back next week, by the way. It sure does to those of you who are B99 fans. That should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think I'm gonna I think that's that's all we've got time for really is um I got uh the the wife who is uh texting me currently <laughs> asking me how much longer I'm gonna be up here recording. Uh, as uh, they've got a running joke between us that uh, Doc and I are in our own secret relationship, and they're just the extras. There are beards. I mean, honestly, I talk to you more than I talk to Val. I think Val's still at work right now, so <laughs> I certainly text you more than I text my wife. Well, I mean, I text back. I text very nice things. So I understand. Listen, it's 2020. We shouldn't be afraid of our feelings anymore. There you go. But you did just make it weird. So. <laughs> It's it's probably hey, time to go. For. But seriously, <laughs> real talk, dude. I enjoy doing this show every week. Um, let's let's do this until there is like a medical reason why we can't do this anymore. And once again, Look, I don't think we've gushed enough about our listeners, our our patrons, anybody's left a review on iTunes, even even the bad ones. Um, you know, people people that we've met or interacted with us, like, legitimately, we say it all the time because we mean it all the time. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, and also tell your friends that, who knows, they might love us too. <laughs> right, right. And, and just interact. But yeah, it's uh, it's always a lot of fun here. I, I genuinely love you and Val. You guys are uh, likewise, fantastic. Yeah, and, uh, likewise. It was awesome to be able to, uh, to meet you through there. And uh, to everybody else out there, I hope you guys enjoyed our hundredth episode. We're looking forward to episode. The countdown to episode three thousand begins now. So, uh, <laughs> hope you guys are ready to ride with us through all the World Series championships that are to come through. From Ronald Acuna going from being an unknown sixteen-year-old signee to being the greatest Atlanta Brave to ever play uh, in the greatest Brave period. I'm going to go ahead and go out on that limb and say so. You guys can quote me on this in about twenty-five years or so. We'll see how well this take marinates. But uh, to those of you out there, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Genuine thank you to all of you who, who listen to us all the time. And uh, we'll be back next week, folks. Next week we'll come in and, and spring training will be a week away and baseball will be that much closer to all of us. So uh, you guys have a good week. You guys hug your loved ones tight. And uh, we'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero.
Well, good night, everybody. It sure has been great bringing you 100 episodes. We want to thank our guests, the pro-war people and the anti-war people. What the hell are they doing now? I don't know. For the war, against the war, who cares? 100 episodes. I hate this town. I really, really do. Okay, thanks. Bye. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.